And now, from the dark corners of the internet, where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things that are getting sniffed, and the beer flows steady. It's Paul.com Security Weekly. Sponsored by Tenable Network Security, the creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Tenable Security Center extends the power of Nessus through reporting, passive vulnerability scanning, log correlation, and much more. Tenable, unified security monitoring. Core Security Technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Rock out with your exploit out. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool. Now, give the intern control of your botnet and pour yourself a beer. Here's your host. He's a few no-op short of an exploit. A man who leaks not his private keys, but a yellow liquid in his pants. Paul Asadorian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly. This is episode 289, and this is, of course, Thursday, May 24th. 2012. I'd like to welcome all of my special hosts here in the studio and via Skype. Of course, the fabulous Larry Pesci is coming to us live via Skype. Welcome, Larry. Yo, yo. And Mr. Jack Daniel it's here Where? to my left. Where? Oh, welcome, your left. Jack. That's me. Hey, What's thanks, man. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to have you here. Uh, Dave, the AV guy, is, of course, uh, making it all happen in the, uh, in the back room. The back state in the in the background in the back in the back, you know. Dave makes it happen in the back from behind. <laughs> Just a couple of quick announcements before we get on with the show. Register today for offensive countermeasures, defensive tactics that actually work at Sandsfire, July seventh through July eighth, with the freewheeling, piano playing, and chords light loving, Mr. John Strand. Um, episode 300 of Paul.com Security Weekly will be recorded and streamed live on, mark your calendars, August 31st, in support of something. We're not, in we're not quite sure yet. In support of something. In support of something. We will broadcast live from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the show will feature technical segments, roundtable discussion, discussions even, and special guests. So make sure August 31st, Friday, but you hang out with us all day. Take the day off work, sit on your deck, drink some beers, That's and hang it. out with us. Hey, isn't that what we're doing? Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's what right. we're doing. So join us. This is a good excuse uh, to uh, buy a new laptop with a high-resolution high screen with uh, good backlighting so you can see it in the sunlight while you're sitting out on the deck with, That's a, right. with That's a beer. Right. And something not to spill your beer in. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we've got a fantastic show. Uh, Zach will be coming up next. So I will take a short break and come back and bring on the fabulous guest for the show. Zach Lanier is a security researcher with Veracode. Prior to joining Veracode, Zach served as a principal consultant with the Intrepidus Group, senior network security analyst at Harvard Business School, and security assessment practice manager at Rapid7. Zach likes Android, vegan food, and cats but not as food. Welcome, Zach, to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul, et, et cetera. Yes. Um, so, Zach, just a, a little bit of a background about you and uh, some of your research into mobile device security, then we'll cut to uh, a technical segment. So how did you get your start in information security? Um, other than being like your kind of prototypical miscreant in high school, uh, I actually <clears throat> was, was pretty interested in just like breaking things for the purposes of causing havoc. Um, uh, I eventually got my first job while in high school at a, uh, a local ISP um, in my hometown, a uh, small shop, like 10 people. And uh, my first job there was to track down some spammers. So um, uh, using the magic of Perl and uh, a lot of log analysis, um, you know, we managed to basically find some customers who were uh, consuming bandwidth and 
um, scamming people, whatever, you know, usual spammer stuff back in like 2001. Um, eventually moved from there into actually doing uh, intrusion analysis um, and started offering like pen testing services to our clients and everything. So then I actually, uh, you know, legitimized the otherwise mayhemic things I did in high school. Um, and then from there, just a whole variety of, of operational and consulting related uh, security tasks. Yeah, and then uh, somewhere along the line, your uh, interest in mobile devices seemed to uh, creep up. How did you get started with looking at some of the security behind mobile devices? Uh, so it it seemed like a natural progression, kind of going from like being a, a, a Unix Linux head to hey, there's now this there are now phones that uh, run you know the Linux. Um, so when I got my first uh, Android device, which is an ADP one um, or the 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 G one. But it was the dev version. Uh, I just started tinkering around with that and got a little in, more interested in uh, like developing a few uh, homebrew Android apps. Um, eventually started doing that professionally, uh, not the development part, but the security side of things uh, when I joined uh, Intrepidus Group mm-hmm. a few years ago. And just kind of went down that rabbit hole and have been been there for better or for worse for some time doing uh, mobile security stuff. And it's interesting. So. Um, yeah. I don't see. Uh, I don't know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I don't necessarily want there to be because uh, the mobile mobile stuff's pretty interesting. So, what improvements were made in terms of security with the Android version dubbed "Ice Cream Sandwich"? Sure. So, um, there were a few things from just like the the API side, right? So now there's a there's like a keychain API, effectively. Uh, there's you know VPN API. Um, there are a lot of things that developers can take advantage of. Um, but from the, the platform side and, uh, you know, my, my, my buddy, John Overhide has a pretty good write up on this. So I'll, I'll kind of defer, um, listeners to that over on his, uh, the duo security blog, but, um, it introduced things like, uh, ad, like better ASLR, uh, address space layout randomization. Um, there were some, some, some other controls put in earlier, uh, like, um, you know, uh, non-executable stack and stuff, but, uh, the ASLR, that was around even in, in earlier versions of ice cream sandwich was pretty weak. Um, uh, starting in, I think 4.0.3, um, was when they introduced, uh, you know, you know, better ASLR, full ASLR. Um, John's got a pretty good like write up on the statistics and, and, uh, uh, distribution and randomization around all that. But, um, you know, the, the stuff that had been present in, uh, non mobile versions of, of Linux for a while, uh, had finally made its way into, into Android. Um, so, um, there are some other things, um, I guess it depends on like what, what, what area in the stack you're, you're more interested in. Um, so were there, were there encryption, uh, enhancements made in this version? Oh yeah. So there's, uh, you know, they started supporting, um, what, what people will kind of refer to as full, like full device encryption, mm-hmm. um, really just like encrypts like the data store for everything, but not the, a non-volatile data store for, for applications. Um, so now that's not done at the kernel level. So like if you were to jailbreak it and stuff, you could potentially get around that. Well, if the device is running, because in order to get the device up and, and, and functional, the user has to put in their, their, their pin or their, um, or their passphrase to, un- to unlock and decrypt uh, mm-hmm. the non-volatile storage anyway. So jailbreaking is really kind of like kind of a separate issue at that point. Gotcha. Um, um I, I happen to mention because I saw Josh Wright actually talk about some iOS okay. vulnerabilities. Uh, oh, and, yeah, right. Yeah, getting around the uh, the passcode and stuff like that. So, sure. Um, so, how would you compare the security of iOS, Android, and Windows? Is it Windows Mobile? Is that am I saying that right? When, uh, Windows. It's now Windows Phone. Windows, Windows Phone. Phone. Right. Yeah, Windows Phone Seven. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I honestly haven't done a lot with Windows Phone 7. Uh, one of my uh, former colleagues, um, who still, who's, is still at Intrepidus Group, uh, has, has been doing a lot of Windows Phone research. Um, it's still sort of like a burgeoning area, I think. Uh, it's just, it hasn't really been on my radar for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't really say too much about it um, confidently, but uh, it, is, it is something of interest. I think, uh, I think it, you know, homework for people might be to go out and, and look at that. But I imagine that Given Microsoft's sort of uh, sort of uh, trajectory of getting better, so to speak, at security, um, I would like to think they've they've probably borrowed a lot of those uh, 
those lessons um, that they learn and bake them into to Windows Phone 7. But mm-hmm. um, I honestly don't know uh, too well. Um, so now tell us about the talk uh, that you gave uh, that you kind of called this um, technical segment you're about to give from. What was the premise of the talk? Uh, so uh, my, my buddy and I, uh, Ben Nell, who's also over at, uh, at Intrepidus Group, um, we did some, we were a little interested in the, uh, the BlackBerry Playbook, which was um, RIM's tablet introduction, right? Um, and uh, the idea, you know, we made a lot of jokes about it. I think pretty much everyone who, who watched how the, the, the playbook came to be probably made some jokes about, you know, it was rushed to market, um, no native email client, whatever. So uh, I'm we sorry, like, what right, is, it's something new. Let's, what let's is play the, around with it. What is the, play, what is the playbook again? Uh, it's it's a, uh, a tablet. It's their oh, okay. friend's tablet. Gotcha. Um, so it's like a, what is it? I don't know if the, if the camera is on, but I have a, uh, I have one. Like, so it's like a BlackBerry iPad. Uh, yeah, more or less, right? So it's, it's trying the, to be, anyways. What you're saying? Yeah, it's so. it's it's somewhere between an iPad and a Cisco CS, which it's a business. Gotcha. It's a it's a business tablet, but it had they made some weird design decisions. So the user, am I, am I visible? Yep, we can see oh, it. Okay, that's the playbook. Gotcha. You'll no, you'll notice if you've if you've had a Kindle Fire, they're roughly the same in dimension and specifications because gotcha. a lot of the Kindle Fire stock. Uh, was actually leftover playbook stock because um, <laughs> no one bought the playbook. Is right, um, but to, you know a little more about it. It's a uh, so it's actually a, uh, it's built on Cunix, which is a mm-hmm. uh, an embedded real time OS that uh, Rim picked up when they acquired the eponymously named company Cunix, um, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a Unix like, although yeah. proper, it's not actually Unix like. It is in the way you interact with it, but it's technically more POSIX compliant mm-hmm. uh, real time operating system. Um, gotcha. They built tablet OS off of, off of the. It's a it's a it? in a real real time operating system as opposed to Linux, which kind of tries to fake it. Right. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, there are there there are reasons that they call it real. So, Cunix is in uh, was in the space shuttle. It's in a lot of uh, mm-hmm. uh, some um, like entertainment systems in cars. Uh, I think I think Audi. I think it's Audi that has like a nice a model like a car model coming out that's going to have a Cunix powered. Um, mm-hmm like in in-car computer soon. So, uh, you know, it's small footprint kind of uh, operating system. Um, they built all, they built it all, built Tablet OS on top of that. So, um, you know, with, with a lot of like Flash and Air and uh, HTML and JavaScript cra- uh, crap put all on top of it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> but, so, you know, we... We decided that, uh, and I'll, I'll say it's like it's a pretty speedy tablet. It's pretty clear that it's like high, it's pr- has pretty good performance. Um, there are a few applications for it, um, but we decided that this was interesting. We wanted to look at it. It's something not a lot of people are really looking at, and it'll, it'll be fun to kind of go in from like a black box standpoint and just tear this thing apart and, and kind of peek into how it works. And we got to learn a little bit about it, an operating system neither of us had really looked at before, which was Qnix. Um, so that was kind of fun. Um, and, you know, we found some, we found a few issues along the way. Um, you know, there was were a couple of other people who had found uh, an actual uh, jailbreak um, for it um, through the, uh, the backup mechanism um, in the desktop manager software. They found a way to overwrite uh, smb.conf because the thing actually runs Samba and mm-hmm. get uh, command execution as root. Um, it was a local, I mean, it required a lot of steps, so it's not really useful per se, for uh, an attacker. Right, um, like but useful like for jailbreaking, yeah. For best or anything, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. And, mm-hmm. and uh, over time, you know, the uh, playbook security got better, but the, the version that we looked at, there were issues with um, Bridge, BlackBerry Bridge, which was the thing that lets you pair the handset to the tablet and access corporate email and things like that, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, a, a, a native application written in C um, could request zero permissions and still access the token that would let it access bridge and then open sockets and exfiltrate email and, and things of that nature. Um, so these were just like little, little issues we found along the way and, and Rim was pretty responsive to, to fix them. Um, so, but, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of fun going along, along that path, learning about Qnix, uh, having to, um, do a little bit of, uh, reverse engineering the firmware, looking into how the, uh, the app, app distribution model worked. Um, Looking at the, how the various runtimes worked, uh, the flash runtime, the air runtime, the uh, native or otherwise unmanaged runtime, and just kind of 
poking around at that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's no, really are more, they, um, more of just how we did it, you know? Sure. So are they still making the, uh, the playbook device and actively marketing it? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if they, uh, I'm, I'm, I think they still have a lot of stock left over. Um, I know that with the introduction of BBOS 10 or BB 10 or BBX or whatever they're calling it these days, um, they are, which is actually going to be based on, based effectively built on tablet OS. That was mm-hmm. kind of the forebear to, to BBOS 10. Um, you know, there is going to be more life to, to come out of these, out of these devices. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was actually talk of making a, another device, but I, I can't, I don't want to say that for sure. Right, um, right. But you know, it's it's worth noting that the thing doesn't have like a cell radio or anything. It's Wi-Fi only. It is so, okay. So I was going to say, you, do you manage these through your your Bez server? Well, yeah. So when you pair it with the handset, you can push down um, policies. Okay. So um, the policies will be enforced via Bez through the handset through Bridge. I gotcha. That's interesting. So the the Bridge is that just like a tether between your phone and your tablet? Yeah, so it's it's you, you pair the the handset and the tablet over Bluetooth, and uh, um, I see, okay. then it kind of sits on top of that, um, and it's it's effectively facilitated through a thing called Sapphire Proxy that listens um, on a couple of loopback addresses on the tablet. So when you mm-hmm. open up a bridge application on the tablet, you're actually connecting back to the tablet, and then Sapphire Proxy over this Bluetooth link is talking to a service on the on the handset, and then you know consuming and spitting back out all the messaging data, contacts data, calendar data, etc. That sounds really horrible for some reason. <laughs> um, it's actually been it's been vetted by others. We didn't really, we didn't really look at the, uh, the Bluetooth side of it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, Black, uh, Rim actually had a, a white paper um, about, uh, about bridge security itself and what they, the uh, encrypted containers that they use for it and some of the controls they have around um, keeping... Uh, you know, like kind of sand, not, I don't want to call it sandboxing, but kind of perimeterizing everything. Um, but the, the issue that we found was due to a legacy bug in Qnix. Um, there's this file system called PPS or persistent published subscribe. Uh, and it's a file system based, um, eventing and like kind of not message passing, but kind of data sharing mechanism, uh, just using like simple, simple file system, uh, APIs. You, you can, read and write config data, watch when files change. Um, there was a special file uh, in every directory called .all um, that aggregated all the contents of its sibling files. So you had like, uh, in this case, slash PPS, slash system, slash Sapphire, I think. Um, and the, the basically the cookie, so it was literally a cookie. It was like a, an authorization, like a web authorization token, an HTTP authorization token was... Um, was stored in a file that wasn't readable by any user except uh, root, but this .all file, which is world readable, effectively revealed the contents of that file. So, um, you know, QED, any any application, any user uh, could read that file, get this token, connect back to Sapphire Proxy, and you know, basically kind of hijack the session and, and start stealing all the things. Awesome. They uh, fixed what that. What file. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right. Um, and to Rim's credit, they fixed that uh, that dot all leak. So it, that actually closed a few other things because there were other bits of information that were being leaked through dot all. Um, so now, when you look at the contents of dot all, you only see the contents of files you would have had you as your effective user would have had uh, permission to see anyway. Mm-hmm. So the dot all still exists, but it doesn't show everything. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So uh, you've got a little tech segment you've put together for us uh, revolving around firmware analysis. Uh, sure. which you said you're uh, kind of a research uh, partner in crime yeah. focus up <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna uh, present it and uh, I'm very I like firmware analysis reverse engineering, engineering firmware I think it's really neat um, so was there any other background information you wanted to give our listeners before we jump into the tech segment uh no um the uh like yeah like you were saying a lot of the uh we kind of split duties here um, and unfortunately uh, my colleague, uh, my buddy Ben can't join us, but, um, he did a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the firmware reversing and kind of forensic stuff. Um, so it was, it was interesting to apply some of his forensics experience to carving out this blob of data that effectively turned out to be a means of us 
getting access to data on the, the that would have been on the tablet, so like system apps and everything, without actually having to you know, jailbreak it or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that not really have a lot of background. Okay, very cool. So uh, we'll just take a, a short little break here. Um, we'll cut the video over, and uh, Zach will deliver the uh, technical segment. And take it away, Zach. Sure. Um, without reading the whole thing verbatim. Sure. Um, so one of the things that we did was kind of isolate the uh, the tablet um, from you know our usual like uh, access point or whatever. And the, the thing that you should know is when you first purchase the tablet, um, if you unbox it, you you have to uh, get on a Wi-Fi network and you have to check for an update before you can really use the device. So um, in early the versions that were shipping on the tablets at the time that we uh, we purchased them uh, didn't have strong certificate check uh, uh, certificate checks. Um, so what that meant was we could effectively man in the middle the the update process. Um, uh, the original okay. the original update uh, check is actually done over SSL. So you know we just throw in burp or whatever, um, as you probably see in some of the screenshots here. It's mm-hmm. really burp. Um, so just put it on you know an AP that we have control over. Our, or any any kind of um, any device that we can you know effectively uh, man in the middle of this, um, and we observe that uh, when the device actually does it, uh, a manual update check or a scheduled update check, or on first boot, um, it will contact uh, one of Rin's uh, update servers, um, which I believe is playbook.websl.blackberry.com, mm-hmm. um, and it'll send this uh, this kind of XML blob, uh, and it'll have a bunch of headers in it as well. Um, that just identify like the the user agent, you know, usual HTTP stuff with a couple of extra um, extended headers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's you know notable is this um, this uh, this XML blob that goes across has what version you're running, um, uh, what your billing ID is, so the the ID that might be linked to um, your you know your Apple account or whatever, um, the hardware ID, so like a, a unique identifier for the hardware, I believe, um, and the PIN, which if you're familiar with um, BlackBerry stuff, you know, the device pin is a, uh, a generally unique way of um, identifying a particular device so that you can provision it for services or link it to an account or whatever. If you've ever done Bez stuff, you'll have a device pin that when you're provisioning uh, devices. So this XML block gets sent that says uh, asking for um, you know, any versions that are effectively, uh, that are available that are greater than the one that is currently installed. Um, and I believe in the early days that actually returned all of them um all of the bundles that were available for your uh your your given version so you know every version from the one right above yours to the latest one um and a bundle mind you is effectively an identifier for a a group of of other files so for a given version of tablet os you'll have a bundle that contains the operating system um uh, or firmware update has maybe like the browser if it's been updated, um, you know, Adobe uh, Reader, uh, Bridge applications, anything that's that's effectively like a system or uh, OEM kind of application. So once that bundle version request has been sent um, and the list is returned, the uh, the tablet will then send an upgrade request saying, "Okay, I want this version. Uh, I want this bundle version." Um, give me all the list of uh, the files that I now need to download. And it's a list of HTTP URLs. So first it's done over SSL, and then um, the list of files to then download is uh, returned, and they're all HTTP URLs. So those are actually done over plain text HTTP. Hmm. Um, so after kind of watching this a little bit, um, uh, Ben wrote a Python script, um, of course, to uh, to go and interact with the, um, the update server to list the bundles that were available, um, uh, request a file, a list of files that were in a given bundle, um, as well as actually download those files um, for that given bundle. And as you can, as you can probably see, just a little snippet there of the uh, of package git.py being run for a given version. Um, what's notable is uh, the version that's listed 1.0.9.3001 uh, was not actually a version that anyone received for their tablet. Um, to our knowledge, it was like an unreleased version. So with this kind of speculate that it would probably be um, reasonable to get versions that were, you know, unreleased to the public might have been QA versions or something. Um, uh, 
it is possible that those might not be available to you if your device ID or PIN hasn't been provisioned for those. Um, this is usually true for beta versions. Like when 2.0 was still in beta, um, you wouldn't even you wouldn't be able to get it for your PIN, your device PIN, unless you had signed up for the beta program. Um, but what you'll see in there is a uh, in that that black and white uh, console output uh, for that 1.0.9.3001, um, a file that's uh, of interest um, and pertinent to this segment is a uh, um, qcfm.os.factory. Uh, a, a version number, a unique identifying version number. Um, .brap.sign.bar. Uh, and a little note about bar files: they're effectively just zip files. It's a way of them saying BlackBerry Archive, kind of a cute way, kind of like a jar, right? Java Archive. It's a right, cute way of right. BlackBerry saying BlackBerry Archive. Um, so once we've run, uh, we found a version that we want, um, which in this case, uh, during our initial research, was. Uh, was an earlier version of one of the 1.0 uh, series. Um, we pull down all those files. We get uh, this QCFM file. Um, it's just, you know, like I said, a zip file. When you unzip it, you get um, you get a uh, file, basically the same file name without the dot bar at the end. Um, and what this is is it's a uh, it's a binary blob, right? And um, uh, as you see in the, the, the kind of the next screenshot there, there's a little, uh, there's a few magic bytes up at the, the top that say MFCQ. And since it's in Little Indian, it's actually supposed to be QCFM. Um, but uh, what's interesting about this is uh, there's, um, there are a bunch of these occurrences of uh, magic bytes that represent uh, um, QNIX partitions. Um, uh, and um, what you'll see is uh, EB109000. Uh, and this, um, this particular header appears uh, in, a, in a, variety of, uh, a variety of places throughout this binary blob. Um, so we opened it up in a hex header. Uh, you know, ben found, found these files all over the place. But notice that uh, you know, it didn't really have a lot, of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge about what this binary blob actually represented. Because it looked, there were strings all throughout the file. Yeah. that uh, looked like paths to commands, um, plain, plain, plain text strings, things that made it pretty identifiable that it was actually a you know a partition, but couldn't really just like mount it, needed to carve it out a little bit. Right. Um, right. So now how did you figure out that that was the, um, the EB109000 um, what zero was uh, the uh, QNX uh, partition? Because sometimes when you're reverse engineering firmware, it can be difficult to find like, what actually distinguishes the beginning of a partition? Right. So um, there's a, a, a thing available for, from QNIX called the SDT or the Software Development uh, Platform. Um, even though QNIX 6.6, on which Tablet OS is based, isn't actually a uh, isn't actually available for general consumption, mm -hmm. the there is a free VMware image that you can download that's 6.5, um, and you can interact with QNIX and you you can cross compile tools and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's pretty handy. Um, we basically just used some of the tools that were available on the QNIX SDP, uh, like check QNIX 6FS, which is like a, uh, you know, file system checker shows you information about, about a partition or, uh, or this, uh, or this, you know, magic binary blob or whatever. Um, so we, you know, kind of moved the blob over to a QNIX SDP environment and use some of the tools that were available there. Oh, um, I see. So, so because you had the VMware, because like there's no Linux uh, kernel extension to mount QNX file systems, right? Right. Uh, there may be third-party stuff, but I don't think there's anything baked into into the kernel or okay. or, or available in, in the as you know, like like a freely available module or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so using QNX uh, check QNX six FS, um, you know, we got a little information about uh, about the the, the this binary blobs image itself. Um, when it was actually produced. Um, when it was last seen, so there was a pretty pretty big gap in when the uh, the the image was actually you know formatted QNIX six uh, FS, uh, and then when they put a bunch of files on it, then it was last synced. Not really relevant to this, but just kind of interesting to see the the gap between that. Mm -hmm. um, but what we noticed was what was being reported by Q, uh, check QNIX six FS. The length of the these, this blob itself is not quite what was being reported by uh, check Unix uh, 6FS. So it seemed to that there were more numbers, there were a greater number of blocks. It was a longer file than what, what this was reporting back. Um, 
or the other way around, rather. This was reporting back that it was it was much longer or much there was much more data supposed to be there than the length mm-hmm. of the file itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of weird. Um, well, it turns out that uh, although this 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 command QCFP wasn't actually available in the Unix SDP, it was available on the BlackBerry Playbook Simulator, um, which is Think of it kind of like a another development environment. So you download the, the playbook simulator. You can um, test your applications on it, uh, much like you could in the Android emulator or in the iOS simulator or whatnot. Um, although it's it's an app playbook environment. Granted, it's for x86, not ARM. It's still like a, a place for you to play in and, and make sure your applications don't uh, don't bomb out, right? So. Move this image over to there. Use the QCFP utility um, to give us a little more information about this, the first partition that was in this blob. Um, so if you see in the, uh, the seventh, uh, I guess the seventh screenshot there is what that would be. Yep. Um, you'll see that uh, it's the, the sections highlighted in yellow and the sections highlighted in green correspond to the, uh, the hex editor output there. So um, kind of in order, you'll see those, the, first uh chunk of or the first line of uh zeros in the um in the yellow and the uh in, in illustration eight match back to you know the uh new run from block number zero to zero second set is zero to one four eight seven in little indian order in the um in the green segment so you know zero five uh cf being one four eight seven so what this what qcfp was telling us was that this um this chunk where we saw uh not to reuse the name, where we saw a QCFP header uh, in the blob um, was actually telling us where blocks were supposed to start and end um, in the partition itself. So um, this, again, really matched back up to you know, the length of the file, but um, deduced that what this represented was uh, where, where, where chunks in the, um, in the partition should start and end, what offset they should begin, and how long they should run for. Um, so we went, so those were the, uh, so those are the offsets in the file system, right? Those numbers, is that what they represent? Right. Okay. Um, so went back to the, uh, kind of now figured out that each, each partition had this, uh, had a corresponding header Mm -hmm. and we knew that each of these, you know, these segments of data, uh, represented the, the block offset and the length, um, or count, uh, we were able to figure out that there were five partitions. Um, uh, wrote another Python script to parse out each of these these uh, chunks of data that represented where the partition started, uh, where a block or a segment of the partition started, where the block ended, or how long it went for, where the next block started, where you know where it ended. And uh, wrote the script to uh, parse out this binary blob um, and recreate the partitions as they were supposed to be. Huh. And it, so you didn't actually use like DD to to strip them off. You wrote a custom py- Python script to do it. Uh, yeah, I think QCF and parse actually wraps that, but I okay, have to... okay, yeah, gotcha. Right, so I'm actually I'm actually checking it because I because it's been a little while. Yeah, well, that makes sense too because you might have to do some creative math or whatever to figure out where the uh, yeah. offsets are and where the blocks, what block size it is, right, and then rewrite those uh, files. Use DD; it just writes it out raw. Um, oh, it does. So, okay. That's cool. That's cool. Well, but what's 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 worth noting is that uh, the reason the the length of the file didn't match what was being reported by like check Unix six fs. Um, Wait, can I guess? Because it was a compressed file system. Sort of. Sort the, of. Uh, it wasn't compressed in the sense that it was like encoded or anything. It was it was compressed and what been uh, described as poor man's compression, which was uh, where those um, those 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 chunks uh, or blocks didn't actually have like a, you know, like corresponding uh, data um, were just packed. So it was expanded back to original size and everything where there wasn't data was just padded with, uh, with you know, there wasn't actual data, it was just padded with null data. Gotcha. Um, so what, this, what the new script then did, uh, QCFM, um, uh, QCFM parse was uh, carved out each of these um, each of these partitions based on the information of those QCFP headers uh, and uh, expanded them back out to uh, extract the data and padded everything appropriately with null. Um, what this yielded was five partitions 
um, two of which were kind of dummy or, or seemingly unused partitions. Mm-hmm. Um, one which had like a like a signature um, to verify. I guess uh, I think we we kind of verify it was signed properly and was in, uh, integral. Um, mm-hmm. One which was these, like the bootstrap to get the system up and running, uh, like an init kind of image or like I, uh, IFS is what it was actually called. Yep. And then finally, one that we were really interested in, which is the uh, operating system or like system uh, root root file system of the uh, of the tablet. So from there, we were able to get access to um, scripts that the tablet used, binaries that were on there, um, system yeah, system config information, um, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the actual application uh, um, that are packaged with the, with that. Um, although most of those are actually bars that are getting pulled down separately, but um, yeah, so it's kind of a way to get access, you know, unfettered access to the file system um, without having to jailbreak a, a, ta- a production tablet itself. So, um, you know, we, we kind of got a pristine representation of what the uh, the system would be like. That's awesome. I, um, I've seen multiple representations of doing just that on several different platforms, and it's always very interesting to me. Um, and, and I think something more people should look into and do is, you know, take that firmware and, and mount those file systems. And I think that it, it gives you kind of a, uh, beneath the covers kind of look at the underlying yeah, OS. Those, uh, as you probably noted in the, sh- the show notes, the, uh, those scripts are available uh, on GitHub. Um, they're under the, the Intrepidus group, uh, um, GitHub group. So it's github.com slash Intrepidus group, all one word. So. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Zach, do you have a a regular blog or anything else that you would like to uh, to plug or upcoming um, speaking uh, engagements? Yeah, I had to say this. Uh, Martin McKay of Network Security Podcast, um, with whom I am a co-host, wanted me to uh, say hello and plug plug it here since we're all podcast buddies. Uh, yes, uh, you, so you're, you are, um, I remember a while back you were added as a, a regular yeah, uh, co-host Yeah, I still managed to, the show. to make it um, on a near-weekly basis, so um, yeah, uh, nice. I occasionally Very blog nice. at um, blog.nowhere.org n0w-h-e-r-e.org um, I'm supposed to at some point start blogging on the Veracode blog um, which I think is just veracode.com slash blog um, I but, believe so, yes, um, I follow that blog yeah, and um, yeah, no, no uh, upcoming speaking engagements per se. Excellent, excellent. Well, Zach, thank you very much for uh, appearing for on me. Paul.com. Alrighty. And with that, we will take a short break, come back, and uh, we'll talk about the stories for this week. And we're back. Zach is, of course, still with us, uh, being the uh, ever-so-experienced podcast host. We were going to keep him around for stories for as long as he can hang out. And I realized I forgot to ask Zach the five questions. So, Zach, uh, are you ready? I think so. Okay. Windows, OS X, uh, or Linux? A mix of all three. If you were, if there were naked pictures of yourself, would you rather have them stored on Android, iOS, or Windows Phone um, Seven? Ooh, probably, uh, probably on on Playbook. Okay, excellent. In a game of Ask Grabby Grabby, would you prefer to go first or second? Uh, let's say second. Three words to describe uh, yourself. Kermud. You can use sexy. You can use sexy more than once. I said you can use uh, sexy more than once. Not sexy curmudgeon. If you had to write a book about yourself, what would the title be? Uh, Guacamole and Me, uh, The Life of a Secret Hipster. <laughs> that was really good. I, dude. I think that is going to be was... the best answer that anybody has ever given to any of these questions. <laughs> I second that. I second awesome. that. That was the best title. If you had to write a book about yourself, that was the best answer. That was outstanding. And and Zach, you have to remember to to give a shout out to Liquid Matrix. Oh yes, the Canadians, the Canadians are mad. Are so uh, sorry, sorry guys. Canadians are mad. That was, we don't want to anger the Canadians. Yeah. 
Larry may right. have yeah, to travel yeah, the, there. The Canadians are mad, but one of those Canadians invited me to dinner in Toronto, but never followed up with me. So I never got to have dinner with him. So, hey. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's make the Canadians I, happy. I liquid matrix. I'm sorry. A <laughs> liquid. Is that yes. liquidmatrix.org? Okay. Just that's a great yep. website. I follow it. So everyone but, but Zach, you know they too, have I guess. the Canadians are special, right? They have three types of encryptions in, in three types of encryption in Canada. What are they? Uh asymmetric, symmetric, and symmetric, eh? You <laughs> fell for that one. Uh, just a couple of uh, quick announcements. DerbyCon call for papers and ticket registration is available online. If you have not yet registered or submitted a talk, please do so now. Security B-Sides everywhere. Jack, where's the fabulous security B-Sides? Uh, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Las Vegas, uh, somewhere near you. Gotcha. And I, I, I messed up and I forgot to read the announcements. Larry's teaching uh, SAN Security 617 on wireless ponage. Check out Larry's very own dedicated page on the SAN's website. Link is in the show notes for a complete list. Next up, New York City at Pace University in June. Uh, and also be sure to tune into next week's show featuring a tutorial on SQL injection uh, to be presented by Allison Nixon. Uh, Nixon. And of course, uh, a special network forensics uh, contents announcement and technical segment uh, will be on the show as well. That's Thursday, May 31st, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us live each and every week, paul.com.com forward slash live. On to the stories for this week. Uh, do you want to talk about Secret Service agents yes, getting please. hookers? Yes, please. No, not not good for Secret Service agents. Uh, I, I think this is really, in terms of security, a really bad thing because it undermines one of the primary reasons for clearance, right? Like top secret, secret level clearance and secret service members obviously need a very high level of clearance. The reason why, now correct me if I'm wrong, the primary reason for you getting clearance, one of them anyway, is that people don't have stuff to bribe you with. That's right. They can't blackmail you. They can't, uh, they've got no leverage against you. Right. So that means you've been a good boy or girl. A lot of Secret Service agents have been very bad. And uh, solicited prostitutes in Columbia. Um, I mean, to think about Col- that. Columbia, though, right? Maryland? No, no, no. Uh, oh, no. oh. There's no... Yeah. <laughs> Cartagena. <laughs> Cartagena. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. No, that's... Uh, so, this I mean, is... you, but you could imagine, what if someone were to videotape that and bribe, or blackmail, rather, yeah. I should say, the Secret Service agent to give up information about where the president is going to be? I mean, that's just, to me, that's bad all around. I'm sorry. There's There's no excuse for that. Yeah, there's multiple levels of wrong. I tell you what, though, the most pissed off person in the world about this whole thing has to be the president, right? Because it's his ass. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Why didn't you get me one? Well, and the second second most uh, pissed off person is probably uh, Bill Clinton thinking, where where was this (laughs) detail? I totally would have sanctioned that. Had some uh, cigars in the. I'm sorry. We, I'm sorry. We just had to go there. Ooh, we did. No, that was good. <laughs> I didn't even think the Bill Clinton angle on that one. That was great. Um, so yeah, that was just. I mean, to tie it into security, I know a lot of us work with clearances and stuff like that. I mean, that's for those of us out there. That's really bad. They're, they're people you. You're expecting people you part trust of the reason, not to do especially in that like role. That. In that yeah, role, yeah. in that part role. of the reason you have that role is because yes. uh, you have judgment that uh, you can trust in a life and death situation, right? Um, unless your wife isn't looking. I mean, what? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think they need to rethink that <laughs> yeah. level of trust. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just a quick technical tip: web application penetration testing using. Uh, with Google Chrome browser, it's a nice list of plugins to use in your next web app test. That's uh, that's kind of all I had on that one. I don't know, uh, Larry. Do you have uh, browser plugins that come in handy on uh, penetration tests, yes. or Zach? What would some um, of those be? Can I have a beer? Oh, actually, they're not on this. Oh, hold on, hold on. Go to other machine. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Go to my pen testing. Um. Well, some of the ones that I've looked at, uh, Firebug, 
Yeah, I like Firebug. Um, I agree. Default user, ag- uh, default user agent. So you can change your uh, user agent default. for Firefox. Oh, you can change your user agent? Yep. Nice. Yeah, I like to change mine to a mobile device. Because then they usually make a website that completely forgets yep. about security. I I uh I got a, <laughs> a pointer from my very same buddy Ben uh, yesterday about um, Flash Firebug, which is an integration into Firebug to inspect Flash objects. And I guess the uh, the pro version, which is oh, like nice. currently they have like a deal where you you pay what you think it's worth. So I like toss them thirty bucks or whatever, and uh, it adds like a, a Swift nice. decompiler and stuff. Oh. Wait, what was that? That's awesome. What, what plugin was that? Flash Firebug. Flash Firebug. I like it. Alrighty. Uh, gaining administrative shell access via command injection. Iron Geek has a great tutorial here on how web applications can lead to so much more. Uh, I think you need to use this example and others like it to show people how web application vulnerabilities carry weight when it comes to risk. I believe it's one of the reasons that we don't really see enough of a high priority to these web application vulnerabilities because we can't immediately see the repercussions. And the fix is not only as easy as applying a patch. I had this discussion today. I was at Bryant Security Day, right? And um, it was a great event. Thanks to John Doman and, and my alma mater, Bryant University now. It was Bryant College when I went there. Uh, they do a, a one-day security event every year, and it's uh, lots of fun. I get to see people that I... Uh, used to work with very closely. And I was talking to some of them about, you know, I'm like when it comes to web app testing, or like it, especially like, for example, if you hire us to do web application testing, I, we're not always going to come back and say, well, you just need to patch this bug. Like the fix is so much more oh, yeah, involved with that. And I almost tell them like, so what we'll do before we do the test is if you've written an in-house app, go ask your developers to answer this set of questions. And the first one's like, do you know what cross-site scripting is? And if the answer is no or what, then we might want to start someplace different than a penetration test or a web application review um, and start with uh, working with developers. And I think very importantly, working with QA as well. So this was kind of one of those things that kind of uh, was uh, thought-provoking in that area. And of course, uh, Iron Geek is uh, an awesome guy and a great website. So, um, Zach, did you want to weigh in on that? Zach, and, uh, Zach had any... to go. Oh, Zach yeah, dropped d- off. Yeah. Okay. Zach has to go play in a band. Oh, yes, that's right. So, yeah, that was my thing on web app testing. Already. Uh, anatomy of a security hole. The break that broke pseudo. <laughs> I said hole. And anatomy in the same question. Is that why everyone's giggling? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you and I both picked up on this. Uh, this We've ball. met. <laughs> Yeah, so did you read the naked security? Uh, so I said naked anatomy in whole in the same sentence. Uh, yep, this is the one. Yeah, naked security. Uh, um, so um, my take, though, is this has to be one of the best descriptions of a vulnerability I've read in some time. They did yeah. a really nice job writing this up. It boils, <coughs> excuse me, it boils down to programming 101. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And forgetting the break, forgetting the break statement and the switch statement. I mean, that's like when you first learn how to use the switch statement, you forget to do that all the time, right? Um, so the break statement between the IPv4 checking and the IPv6 checking was left out. So if the IPv4 checks failed, the IPv6 checks, inappropriate in the circumstances, were tried right. instead, right? Not right. In so, addition so of course to, you'll, know, you'll never um, match so anything for IPv6, so it's not a fail, right? So essentially, what it means is if you were limiting people's commands by IP address, uh, you really weren't. Is <laughs> really what it boils down to. Um, so that was the bug in sudo, uh, which essentially leads to people with sudo access who should not, which can be nice. If you're in a pen test, not so much if you're the systems administrator. So simple programming, forgotten in one of the world's most popular uh, privilege access control uh, software on uh, Unix and Linux platforms. Very nicely written up, I might add, by Naked Security. Larry, do you have anything else to nope, add? Just, yeah, yeah, sort of the, the same sort of things and uh, the IPv6 stuff. and um, Yeah. That was about it. Oh, I have to play this video. I found this video. 
This was on the NetSec, netsec.blogspot.com, I believe, link to this, I think. Okay, what? let's get started by trying to describe computer security in a single word. piece of shit. Yes. Maybe we can watch our language. I'll write down frustrating. Write down sandwich. Sandwich. Now, what if you write down sandwich? Slow dumpster. Yes, Big bag. Bag pop up. That's three words. If you say it fast, it's one <laughs> word. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who that... Uh, it was some security vendor, Webroot Software or something, so... Um, yes. I thought that was pretty good. Um, what did I say? Uh, I said, pseudo, make me a fucking shit sandwich. <laughs> that was my comment on that. <laughs> So we we tie. See how I tied those stories together? Isn't that amazing? Awesome. Yep. Feet of. Well, anyway, Nmap new version has been released. Yay! Yeah. Larry, you heard the story too. Have you um, played with the new version of Nmap yet? Uh, so yes, um, I tried to install it via <clears throat> Homebrew on my Mac, and the the recipe to do that um, doesn't compile. You have to edit it. And you edit it by removing the the liblua option. Uh, when you do that, you mm-hmm. don't have the ability mm-hmm. to do any Lua NSE scripts, which is the reason why I wanted to do it. Oh uh, yeah. I so I compiled you... it from source right. this morning, and it seemed to work just fine, except for ZenMap because it's GTK plus. No big deal there. Um, and confirmed that it works. And yes, that's about it. So you said, like you said, there's four yeah, it's like times, three or the NSE four times the NSE before. scripts that there was. My whole thing there is, and I think Nmap's awesome, and I think IPv6 support is definitely on the list of cool stuff uh, released in this version. And I think, I don't know, we could be coming to a time where it's going to be way more important than for IPv6 than ever before. Um, what I really want to see happen though is automatic downloading of the new NSE scripts. That's not in this version that I read, and I didn't read it very carefully. I'm I'm pretty sure that's not there because right now you have to do an upgrade or download them manually. Um, yeah. There's no automatic downloading of NSC scripts, right? I think so. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's not an easy thing to implement, obviously, because you want to sign your <laughs> NSC scripts and make sure you're getting them from the right place and all that stuff. So, um, but I I think I think that's coming. I think you know increasing this number, um. I think automatic updating and downloading of new ones has got to, has got to be coming, but we'll yeah. we'll work to get Fyodor back on the show. Very cool. Um, let's see. Defend your phone against loose networks. There's an app for that. The vulnerability, which is an off-path TCP sequence number inference, which is basically like TCP number guessing. It's like TCP intelligent guessing um, can allow hijacking of web pages users are trying to visit from their phones. Uh, Researchers say that uh, sometimes the stateful firewalls on the drop packets without valid TCP sequence numbers can be attacked by an insider that's able to guess TCP sequence numbers. Now I began thinking about this TCP sequence hijacking and uh, predictability. And I, I, read the page, went to the paper and I looked at their references because I'm like, this is an old attack. Um, they reference in this paper, CERT Advisory CA-1995-01 IP spoofing attacks and hijack terminal connections. Yeah. Hacking like it's 1995 yeah. on mobile devices because that's where the state of mobile devices has gone. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I have not read the full paper just yet, but there is uh, a link in the show notes to the full paper and the 1995 CERT advisory. So very cool. I think if we, you know, we don't learn from the past and apply it to new things like embedded devices that uh, we're all kind of doomed for failure. Indeed. Uh, Larry, let's yeah, porn so this one was kind of kind of interesting. Um, that um, from uh, Dr. Neil Krawitz. Um, there's a couple of um, ISPs in the UK um, that are wor- that they're they're working on some laws in the UK that um, the ISPs are going to have to start um, filtering porn. 
Yeah. So if you live in the UK, really, wait. UK. So in the U in the US. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, UK. So the uh, the the UK has a proposed bill that demands ISPs and device makers to block porn, called the Online Safety Bill. And uh, yeah, I, I like uh, Dr. Krauss's uh, aside that if in the U.S. we would have given this bill a snappier acronym like "Protect Lasses from Adult Contact and Erotica Using Network Technologies Act," commonly called placenta, it would have passed. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so basically they're looking nice. to do a bunch of stuff. And so some of the stuff that they're they're looking to to call for is you know filter by domain, filter by keywords, image filter by image content and color. So when you start looking at image content by color, um, it tends to have a lot of false positives and false negatives, and is really broken. Oh, I think I did see this. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would, he he wrote about this before. Uh, he it's wrote about some different stuff. Image. Yeah, some like determining what what oh. skin. No, this is the one I saw with the the chick with chick smoking. The, is that a girl? Yeah, yeah. pregnant smoking well, a yeah. cigarette. Yeah, with yeah. the it looks like she's pregnant and yeah. she's wearing a yeah. Read the, shirt. read the title right above the first image on the left. Pregnant in flesh colored shirt. Awesome. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, sure. Let's ban porn, but then let's uh, um, you know use some stuff that doesn't necessarily work all that well. So, for example, um, take a look at best wedding ever. The third set of pictures down there. Oh yeah, that doesn't oh, look like it's going to get filtered all that much. Isn't picking up a lot of flesh tones. But it, yeah. Is it because their yes. their skin is black? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, interesting. So that does look like the best wedding ever. It looks like everyone <laughs> has automatic weapons. I agree. <laughs> Those people know how to party. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, but yeah, in any case, like, hey, let's create some porn filters for an entire country, but based it on technology that's completely sort of busted. Bad. Right, now right. we're we'll just you know because you know what that means. <laughs> We're just going to have porn for the UK that's all tinted green. Yeah. Hey, you know. <laughs> hey, I'm whatever. down with that. Alien porn's fine with me. Um, let's see. Jack, you there? He died. Oh, okay. Um, Indian SMBs facing advanced attack threats. And I quote from the article, lack of awareness and low adoption of security measures makes these cities susceptible to cyber threats and warrants greater vigilance in protecting information access, uh, assets. Comments on emerging growth of uh, uh, technology and countries and its impact on security. So I don't, I don't think that's unique to uh, Indian. India, yeah. Certainly have that problem right here um, in the U.S. I, I'd be willing to bet that the, some parts of... Uh, uh, very small businesses have even more financial challenges and less access to uh, some of the technology. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's universal. Mm -hmm. uh, under cyber attack. So I wonder what, you know, we, the, not that the, not that law enforcement is, uh, has mastered dealing with the uh, computer crime yet, but uh, I, I uh, don't know what uh, the situation is in, in India. Um, at least here in the U S people occasionally get arrested uh, for, Computer crime. I'm not sure that India uh, has the prioritized resources to do that. Or, well, that's interesting. I think uh, enforcement and uh, uh, of the computer crime laws certainly might have an impact on the number of attacks. Right. Yeah, and also, um, if there's enough prosecution and enforcement, it might actually make it into the news. You know, it might uh, people might start to hear about it once there are arrests. So it's not just getting one person off the street or one person you know, that can't play solitaire for a year <laughs> or whatever the fine is or penalty is. <laughs> oh boy, Larry, you got a couple of stories. Yeah, about and I think I double double booked sort of one of them. But uh, so one, I heard that they created their own browser called Axis, and then they rushed it out and they forgot mm -hmm. their terms of service. 
Oops. Um, and then the other one was based the on um, that uh, Yahoo created an Access um, pl- uh, Chrome plugin. And as part of that uh, that mm-hmm. Chrome plugin, um, they left their uh, private key for plugin uh, signing, so that now you go and grab their Oops. private key out of their uh, their Chrome Access plugin, and then you can sign uh, keys as Yahoo, uh, sign uh, surreptitious plugins for Chrome as Yahoo. Mm. Of course, they're. I believe they've already Oops. got them revoked and all that type of good stuff. But still, that was a really dumb move. Yeah. And uh, searching virus total. Yeah. So that one was actually um, kind of neat. Um, so, of course, you know what we do when uh, when we um, we create some, a- uh, some AV stuff. Or not AV stuff. Some Metasploit um payloads want to get them on a system to bypass AV we upload them to virus total um so maybe we can start getting um some of the same file names and uh um before we even upload it to virus total and maybe even grab md5 signatures and see if um someone else has already uploaded that to virus total and uh check and see how they did before we even do it and provide uh, the antivirus vendors with even more fodder to pick that stuff up. Yeah. And that seems what virus yep. tool. Has oh yeah. Become, that's, I mean, that's really how they, they stay in business. They work with all the AV vendors and uh, they give them uh, the AV vendors, give them beta products to test and run against all the submissions. Hmm. Interesting. Jack, you had a story in here about true crack. Yeah, this is... Uh, oh, is it all one word? Should I say true crack? Uh, can I say true crack? crack? Right. <laughs> what, whatever makes you happy. Paul. It sounds better whatever. when I say true crack. crack. True crack. Yeah, just um, this is one that depending on who, depending on where you pay attention to the world, you may or may not have heard of this. And you may have heard hype. I know that's hard to believe in our business, but uh, <laughs> true crack... FUD? Is, no. Yeah. <laughs> is an open source uh, tool, a uh, brute force tool for TrueCrypt encrypted volumes. Uh, runs on Linux only right now. I'm not sure if you could fire up a Linux distribution and point it at a Windows or other uh, encrypted volume, but it uh, doesn't appear to have any way to attack um, things without an OS running. So I don't know. Uh, it's not that much documentation. I don't know if you could uh, try to run full disk, you know, run it against full disk encryption if you put it in as an alternate drive. But it's a basic uh, brute force tool. Uh, it will play with uh, graphics or uh, with GPUs, so it does. You can uh, crank up some power on it. Uh, but it uh, comes back to hey, if you're using TrueCrypt, uh, you probably, I hope, uh, have the brain power to have uh, a long enough passphrase that is going to not uh, make make yourself an easy target. But it's something to be aware of and watch because uh, when, uh, I can imagine, uh, in spite of my uh, typically optimistic view of the world. There are some people who have really stupid passwords <laughs> on TrueCrypt. Just... <laughs> <Well>, choking <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> optimistic. But anyway, TrueCrack, it's uh, somewhere out there. It's linked in the show notes out okay. there in Google Code. But brute force passwords. Brute force. Brute, brute forcing crack what? Brute, so you need a long um, password for your crack. Your true crack. Yes, Long past. You need it for a crack in your crypt gotcha. or whatever. Gotcha. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> you? You're right over there, Dave. Uh, yeah, I'll be okay. You just you have no idea how hilarious you are. <laughs> I think well, you know, he, I think he does. I think when he goes home at night, he's really happy and jolly and laughs cracks, about everything. Cracks and crypts. Okay, yeah, we got we got to like, start thinking about Alice Cooper now and uh, Cold like, Alice. Is that where we're going with this <laughs> song from my child? Well, not from my childhood, but uh, as Alice Cooper said about necrophilia. Well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you, wow. guys are, you guys are too Wait, young for that one. Who's Alice Cooper? Yeah, uh, he's the guy with the snakes. That's what yeah. she said. Yeah, yeah. He, as Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper got crap for his song. Blood? Uh, got song. Got trouble for uh, his song uh, "Cold Alice," and uh, he actually commented in an interview that uh, necrophilia was uh, 
just uh, never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> uh, he is wow. a bit of a sick guy. Actually, uh, something that a lot of our listeners will can't relate find the, to. The ending music for quick enough, Jack. <laughs> After all of that in his career, Alice Cooper said the scariest thing he's ever seen in life was he went downstairs and uh, many years ago and his uh, his preteen daughter had a slumber party and there were about 20 uh, preteen girls in a room and he said it was the most horrifying thing he'd ever seen after you know decades on the rock tour show but wow anyway (laughs) those of us who have survived teen daughters can sympathize all righty on that note let's take a short break come back and wrap up the show want to remind everyone that next week on paul.com will feature two fabulous technical segments not one two but two yeah right yeah two for the price of one no i'm you know i'm just i know i would you, well you questioned me no i'm, I'm questioning not questioning myself. you i was i was yeah. setting it up gonna, for dramatic effect we're gonna have the sequel <laughs> injection with allison nixon who will be live here in the studio so we have to be on our best Dave, do we have to be in our best behavior? Uh, I don't know. We're going to find out, though. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Hey, she'll she'll let's, surprise let's, you. I, I think she'll put you on your put you on your butt. And then, um, of course, we're going to have the Network Forensics uh, contents announcement where they'll come on and provide an awesome technical segment, like Sweet. stuff you can use to help yeah. you in the contest. Sweet. So Outstanding. That's all next week. Um, and next month, Larry's teaching in June New in New York City. Correct? New York City. New York City. Hopefully we get John Strain and Carlos Perez out on the uh, the next episode. So we miss them dearly. And uh, we're looking to uh, maybe fly out some special guests for episode 300 on August 31st. So be sure to check that out. Uh, we'll be putting up some show notes hopefully uh, in the coming month or so. So. Yeah. And uh, we'll have a table at, uh, at DEF CON. I'll be at Black Hat and we'll have a table at uh, DEF CON. Yeah. So we'll be at DEF CON yeah. too. So looking ahead at and our Derby summertime Con and fun. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yes. Derby CON, yeah, we'll be at Derby CON. So good stuff yeah. happening here. Paul.com. Oh, I did want to say uh, rest in peace, yeah, Typical Mac User Podcast. Did. did you see that, Larry? Yeah, I can't yeah, post to that mailing list anymore, but for whatever reason. But in any case... Yeah, I can't either. Yeah, but in any case, he had yep. gave his last episode. I just want to say I have no plans of ever stopping because yeah. I have way yeah, too much no, fun. Yeah, no, but uh, but congratulations. Okay, if anyone uh, listens or listens or likes it, good. I'll be here every week, drinking beer, yep. hanging out with whoever so wants big, to come. Big congratulations so. to Victor Cahiao on uh, Typical Mac User Podcast and the the long run that it had. Resounding success. Yeah, yeah. So with that, Larry, over. Take us out, my and- friend. Out.